0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I am not here today with my friend and colleague Michael, who is away or busy or ill or something. The important thing for you is he's not here. Now, normally that would mean that we might not record a show, but Michael called me and told me that while he was unable to do the show, given the week that had just happened, a show must go up and that I must carry that burden. So after being heroically volunteered the job of doing my own job, I am here. So in classic tradition, I'm going to say that because it's only me, we're going to keep this short, which usually precedes 40 minutes of rambling because I have no ability to regulate or control my own timekeeping without Michael here to occasionally talk. Putting that aside and working on the assumption that this time will be different, that is what we in the business would call the victory of hope over experience. Politically, I suppose the only thing that's happening today that Irish people care about, or this week, is the stabbings in Dublin and the resulting protest and then riot and the reaction to them. Now, for those of you who have somehow not heard, there was a stabbing in Dublin on Thursday. An Algerian man who had Irish citizenship and was living in the country for uh, 20-odd years uh, stabbed... Several children and a woman. That led then to a protest the same day at the uh, roughly the same location, just outside the Gript offices, actually, and that devolved into a riot. Now, Gript has become very involved in the reporting of this because it was Gript who first reported that the uh, attacker was an Algerian immigrant. And that has gone down very, very poorly in certain quarters. There has been a feeling among certain people that it was irresponsible of us to publish that. I would argue that it was actually irresponsible to not publish that, but we'll get to that uh, in a bit. I wanted to open by talking about the end of the Ashling Murphy-Josie Puska trial, because I think... It is important to look at that before going on to what happened during the week. And I wanted to talk about that because we saw a similar approach of certain sections of the Irish media to that story. So those are not aware, Joseph Pusco was found guilty of the murder of Ashling Murphy last week in a verdict that I think could rightly be described as deeply unsurprising. What was quite interesting about the actual end of the case itself is they had victim impact statements read out now I think Michael has strong views on the reading out of victim impact statements and that they shouldn't be done so I'll just make that note here in his steed during that uh, Ryan Casey who is Ashley Murphy's boyfriend read out a statement which was described as powerful and um, direct that statement, Went through a number of things about Joseph Puska and his feelings towards Joseph Puska, which were pretty much, I think, as you would expect them to be. Here's the interesting thing his victim impact statement was reported nearly everywhere I saw in the country. But nearly everywhere I saw in the country cut out a particular section of his victim impact statement. They clearly decided that it wasn't newsworthy and that they weren't going to report it. Because there was a part of his victim statement where he was talking about Puska, and he asked this question, how can someone come to this country, get social housing, social welfare, not hold down a job of any description, and never contribute to society for 10 years? That would seem a very fair question, but it was decided that that would not be reported pretty much anywhere apart from grip now maybe some of the locals did it maybe some of the red tops did it and not all of them are online maybe I missed something but from what I can see it looks like it was a near blanket failure to report that section and John McGregor wrote quite a good article on it called in silencing Ryan Casey the media abandons all pretense uh, with a subtitle of on Friday we Learn definitively how the Irish media sees its role in Irish society and the entire point of that article, I think he's right, is that it was decided nearly across the board that this was something that was not going to be told to the public, that this was a question that had been raised. I mean, this was a trial of immense public interest. There were multiple reporters there. There's absolutely no way they missed it. They selectively removed it. Now, RTE was the most interesting because they initially put it up and then they deleted it. John makes the argument that that really this is just a sign that the Irish media in general with some exceptions doesn't see its job as being to report the news to the public it sees its job as being to protect the country and protect the people in it and protect those running it from what they would consider the worst instincts of the public so you don't report that sort of thing because someone might take it the wrong way and that might cause a particular view of immigration or a membership of the EU or our social uh, welfare system. And effectively making the point, and I think this is, is fair, that the Irish media sees material, considers whether or not it is newsworthy, and then considers what the political and sociological impact of releasing that information is and makes a decision based on the latter, not just the former acting on its own, which is interesting in the context of the attacks on GRIPT for reporting that this chap was Algerian. Now, before we reported that, by the way, we checked with multiple sources, multiple sources with intimate knowledge of this event, who were absolutely sure That this was true now subsequently more information has come out we weren't aware that he was a citizen we weren't aware how long he had been in the country there was some talk that documents were being checked in relation to that but no one could pin down what was actually happening in the same way it has come out in a couple of the red tops that he had previously been brought up on a charge of possession of a knife and that there was no order given in that which they say is a sign usually of uh, mental health issues. Now, what's interesting there is the family have come out and said that about two two and a half years ago. Sorry, the family have reached out to I believe the Mirror to tell them this. It's not a general statement. I haven't seen anything on it, but assuming the accuracy of the Mirror's reporting, that uh, two two and a half years ago, he developed a tumor on his brain, and since then he's become an absolutely different person. Now, that actually is known to happen, but that's not a mental health problem. This is not someone who has developed some sort of uh, schizoid disorder or something like that. That's an actual uh, neurological degeneration, or or if not degeneration, certainly neurological change. It is a biological thing. It's not something that's going to be dealt with with talk therapy. And as I said, there have been reports of that going back uh, quite a significant amount of time, people taking Either tumors or injuries to the brain, and it uh, massively changing their personality, becoming much more aggressive, losing the ability to regulate uh, their own emotions, things of that nature. But again, not a mental health thing, as is being reported. That is an actual physiological issue that, effectively, there's no coming back from most of the time. Not a um, you know depression or schizophrenic or or something that may have a physiological uh, basis, but could also um, uh, a psychological impact. So we, we anyway, back back to the point. We confirmed that this was accurate, and then we reported because we thought it was important for people to know that it was a pertinent, newsworthy piece of the story. And we reported that I think about five or six on Thursday. The riot started before seven, so a certain segment of people, some in media. Uh, Some politicians, although usually they have been kind enough to hedge around it, I assume for fear of being sued, have indicated that we are responsible to it, which is a lovely change from no one reads gripped to gripped or capable of summoning a mob with a click of their fingers. One point to make actually here, uh, before I go on to just the nature of the media coverage, is there is a claim that we release this for political reasons as opposed to the rest of the media who obviously do things for absolutely apolitical reasons. But I think the interesting thing here is multiple people were involved in stopping this attacker. Um, Civilians on the street became involved, putting themselves in danger to stop this. Almost all of the initial media coverage focused on one of the people who got involved, who himself happens to be an immigrant. Now, I am not in any way suggesting that the man's important was not involvement was not important that he should not, in fact, be held up as having done something uh, exceptionally positive. But if we're going to say that releasing the nationality of someone is a political act, I think we could also then question why the focus on this one particular person, apart from the Irish man or the French um, I don't know you, uh, trainee chef, who got involved. And if there was, in some way, perhaps a feeling that this attack might raise anti-immigrant sentiment, and so, well, we're going to focus on the other immigrant who was very positively involved in order to counter that, and that that is in some way a political uh, division. Now, had GRIP not published that this chap was Algerian, it would have been interesting to see, and obviously we can't do counterfactuals, if anyone else would have mentioned that, because at the time we published it no one had, and I think to date many of them have still not mentioned it, and we would have just got this very, very positive story about an immigrant and absolutely nothing about the nature of the attacker. Uh, By the way, if any of these sort of things ever happen again and you're curious about whether the person involved is Irish or an immigrant, a very easy way to work it out is if there's any chatter online, then it might be a foreigner. If there is not a statement or information leaked to the Irish Times or the Independent or someone like that saying that the man is Irish within a relatively short time span? Assume it's a foreigner. Because if it was, if it wasn't, it would be leaked to the papers and they would publish it on that basis. Because, you know, we've got to protect people from their worst instincts. The reporting on this has been a generally very purr across both the Irish media and the foreign media. The Irish media have spent a lot of time focusing on the far right here, the involvement of the far right. The problem, of course, there is that while there were some people there who would be counted as being in the far right by these people, they were not the majority of the people there. And frankly, these people don't have the ability to summon a riot or to coordinate something like this. I will disagree with my colleague John McGurk on this. He made the point that this is the natural outcome of people in the area protesting against crime and being ignored and having concerns about immigration and being ignored, and that effectively this is a political reaction. I think the initial protest that took place there may have been in part a political reaction, but when you get later on into the night, when you get to the actual rioting, I don't think there was any great political content of any kind. The people that would be considered far-right agitators had all left by that point. They were gone, and they don't seem to have been terribly successful on the ground of doing anything. This basically seems like a certain level of criminality and basically the lads deciding that this might be fun. Also probably worth noting that amongst those who would be classed as far-right agitators, some wanted this kind of violence, but others would have preferred that it was absolutely not there at all because then the story just becomes immigrant stabs children. Which is better than... Scroats burn down O'Connell Street. I think if you if you wanted to actually understand this right, you would be better looking at something like the Love Ulster riots that took place in Dublin in 2006. Yes, there is a sort of political look to it, but a lot of this is just a desire to engage in crime, whether it's theft or vandalism or assault, because it's fun and it's easy to do and the police are not going to stop you. Of media coverage, I've got to say my favorite was the um, social media blurb put out by the Washington Post. And it was online rumors claimed the perpetrator of the stabbing attack was an immigrant. The BBC found that the man was an Irish citizen who had lived in the country for 20 years. Police blamed a lunatic fraction driven by a far-right ideology for the riot. Now, as someone who moved from one region of Ireland to another and is still known as a blow-in decades later, I didn't realise that there was a cap on how long you could be in a country before you were no longer considered an immigrant, and I just wish that we had a word to describe someone who fell into that category, other than obviously immigrant. The other foreign coverage on this has also kind of taken the same tone, that this is the start of Ireland becoming a proper European nation, as in a nation with an immigration problem and a reaction to it that is violent and outside political norms. I don't think that's what this is. There, I think there are two factions here who would love for that to, for this to be that, for this to be the turning over a new leaf, and we can go back to the free corps and the running street battles that preceded Nazi Germany. Weird enough, the best statement I have seen, the best political reaction to I have seen from this came from the Irish Republican Socialist Party, who put out a statement which was. Basically, yeah, people have concerns about immigration and they should be listened to. And then they go on to say that in other countries, anti immigration parties have been elected and nothing has ever changed. And in Ireland, it will be no different. If you elect the people who tell you they're against immigration, nothing is going to change. There will still be housing issues, there will still be healthcare issues, there will still be poverty. And then they say the only solution for the Irish working class and the future generations is the building of a working class movement to take control of Ireland's economy and make decisions based on our own well-being. Now, I don't think I could be further from the IRSP's political stances, but that is a good statement on the issue. It doesn't give more credit than is due to a nearly mythical far right, which, by the way, when politicians do that, it enables them to move the blame away from them And when Drew Harris does it, it has much the same thing. Obviously, there were people who were trying to influence things. But their level of control and their level of impact is substantially below what the media presents it to be. They have no ability to put people on the streets like this. They would struggle to, even with notice, great notice and great organizational capacity. This seemed largely organic with people trying to hitch themselves onto it. And I know before we've talked on the show, about protests and how they're covered. If you go to a protest, any protest, there will be a number of people who are just absolutely insane there, the the most extreme fringes, and they will always be there for a very simple reason that those are the people most dedicated to turning up to things because they have a passionate intensity for the issues which is not matched by the normal person and is not matched by most normal activists either. But where it becomes a media issue is the question of how do you cover that? Do you go to a protest and see these lunatics and decide we are going to report that this was now a far right protest or a far left protest or a religious zealotry sort of thing, or do you not mention them at all, or do you take what I think is the most responsible ground and point out that you know there's ten thousand people here and there's fifty of these lads. They're here but they're not everything. And in Ireland, we have, you saw it through COVID, we have a very low bar to describe things we don't like as being basically just those lunatics. And that was what most of the political response was. It was about the far right. It was about how we couldn't allow this kind of lawlessness. And I agree, we, we shouldn't agree these kind of law, with this level of lawlessness. Water cannons would have been an appropriate response in parts Oh, as just a a little aside, because the news has just broke as as I'm recording this, outrageous of us to report from multiple confirmed sources that the attacker was a a migrant. But the Sunday Times is just after reporting that the five-year-old girl who was seriously injured in the knife attack is from a migrant background. Well, actually, let me rephrase that. Seriously injured in a knife attack involving an Algerian man that sparked far-right riots in Dublin is from a migrant background. goes back to my point. I don't think these were far-right riots. I don't think these were political riots. I think these came inside a community that has been deprived both economically and of political representation. And I think looking at it, one would think there's fertile grounds for some sort of political uh, growth there. But I don't think these riots were really in any way political. There were political actors there, but they didn't have control. Sinn Féin's response was actually quite interesting. Mary Lou's response said, Our community has been traumatised twice by the barbaric knife attacks on young children and their teacher, and then by marauding racist mobs who ran riot on our streets. Our community does not feel safe, has not felt safe for some time now. This must change. Now, there's one point there I think is worth addressing, because I was saying I don't think this is a terribly political or far-right thing there were chants at certain points about immigrants that they should be sent home. There were people who were talking on Telegram groups about how immigrants should be killed. Now, I assume the voices sounded like they, are, um, they were from Dublin, and I assume they were using it in the sort of um, killed as in beaten rather than literally murdered. But eh, that's a point of, of, uh, of perception, I suppose. They were absolutely there. And we had multiple people on the ground. As people may have noticed, GRIP's frontline is is largely, if not totally, from people who are very clearly not white. So absolutely, there was a concern for our people when they were on the ground, and there were absolutely people there who were racist. What I am saying is it was not an organised political event or one whipped up successfully by agitators of any particular political view. This was an organic event. The other point is that Sinn Féin's response to this is interesting. I mean, they're saying that they've no, um, they're saying they have no confidence in Drew Harris, that they have no confidence in Helen McEntee. But Sinn Féin have a bit of an interesting problem here in that if you were to poll the people involved, you get a sense a lot of them were not strong voters. But of those who did vote, Sinn Féin was probably the vote that they would have had. And this goes back to the, the balance that Sinn Féin is currently trying to keep where on one hand you have this lovely post-water protest, progressive side of things. The other side of it, you have this very working class, nationalist, anti-immigrant side of the party, which they don't really have any policies for anymore, but they've been very effective at their local councillors, making these people think that Sinn Féin have policies that are towards them. So Sinn Féin have kind of the right vibe, but when they get into power... It's going to be very difficult for them to actually keep these people on side. Which is not to say that these people are, are bad people or uneducated or anything like that. Uh, I don't really have a lot of truck for all of this talk of the need to educate people so that social problems disappear, uh, because that's just propaganda. These people are the people who would have traditionally voted for Finifol. Forty years ago they would have been Finafol voters. They would have been good working class people who voted for Finifol. Feel Finifal no longer actually represents them, largely because Fianna does doesn't want to represent them, and have gone for Sinn Féin, because it's the closest political thing they have. It's a terrible fit. It'll be interesting to see if anyone can take that away from them, but that is what it is. I feel, again, without Michael here, I'm slightly rambling and jumping from point to point. I suppose the overarching point I just wanted to make here is that there has been a decision to represent things in a particular way, I think largely because it's felt that not doing so creates a problem, For the government, for Irish society, that can be effectively removed by talking about it in the right way, by using the right words as if they are some form of magic. We get rid of the underlying problem. All that I think has been done by this myopic focus on, as I said, a nearly mythical far right, is to make the far right stronger by making them appear more competent and larger and more effective than they actually are. This is, for the most part, lads on Telegram, Telegram groups and Twitter spaces who have little to no ability to actually impact on the waking world, but they're being built up as if they do, and in a way that means that these people have no ability to actually focus on actual problems that need solving or that need to be paid more than lip service in order to stop things like this from becoming... A regular part of Irish society. Now, as I said, I don't think this is this is the start of any new political era as such. But clearly, there is a should we say a ground level feeling of a certain type about these issues. This community is is a very underserved community, but there's lots of underserved communities throughout Ireland, and there's lots of places that could be concerned by this. And the government has, and the media and the academics, have little to no ability to deal with it because they cannot see what's actually happening. It's actually a very common thing, you, you you see. There are ideological and political frameworks which allow you to understand the word. Things like the political compass, the idea of the left, the right. Then you expand that and you go libertarian, or libertarian authoritarian and you expand it more. The problem, and part of it, actually the problem for the far right is everyone gets called far right unless you agree with a certain amount of these things. I remember during the abortion referendum, the a lot of people on the no side were being called a far right and fascists, and a few of those people that I, I was working with at the time were people for profit members. Now, obviously their stance differed from the party, but as far from being far right as you can be, we've gotten to a situation where having one wrong opinion if it's the right type of wrong opinion, is enough to get you put into the far right. These are people who have been absolutely blinded by that framework and operate on that basis. And you see it all across politics and academia and the media. People who have taken on certain ways of analysis, which should give them a better way of understanding the world, and have integrated it so fully that they have forgotten that all of these methods of analysis are limited in some way. They're heuristics to allow you To make faster and more effective judgments but at the point you these people have forgotten that these things are tools and they become wedded to particular views and now it must be the fair right because what else could it be it couldn't be a groundswell of support in working class areas for shall we say stricter immigration no these people are just blind and must be educated as to the real problems, which are resource allocation or pressure on things or whatever else you're having. But it can't be that people are actually just concerned about things. And they're not concerned because they're being told by far-right agitators. They're concerned because these things are, or are perceived to be, problems within their communities that should be dealt with. And these are people who should have greater levels of political representation and should have more influence over their areas. No, it mustn't be that. It must be the fair rights. We're going to spend massive amounts of time and money dealing with them, doing absolutely nothing about the underlying issues and then worrying why all of the time and effort we've spent on dealing with the fair rights seems grossly ineffective. Closing point, I would just say this. GRIPT obviously has its own views on certain issues. We have our own interests. Some of those interests actually appear more than they are due to the small number of staff in GRIPT. So GRIPT... If we're covering crime, for instance, there are certain stories we know are not going to be covered in the mainstream press or not covered accurately. Those usually relate to immigration. So we end up doing a lot of those stories because it's both of interest in that it's something that someone doesn't want reported and it differentiates us from the other media because we report something that they don't. But because GRIPT has a very small staff, that means a lot of time we don't cover the other stories that. You know, don't differentiate us, but are news. And that makes, I think, people feel like GRIPT has far stronger editorial lines on immigration or drug use or any number of issues than GRIPT actually does. It's just a function of the size of the site that we have to focus on what gives us the most bang for the buck. But within that, and within the fact that GRIPT obviously has editorial lines on things, I think one of the things that GRIPT has been most effective as, and one of the one of the things i most support is the archival function of gript the mere reporting of things honestly information that other media will not give out and i don't want to be too self congratulatory here because self praise is absolutely no praise but i think there have gript has had a legitimate impact on this country and i would just urge people if they think that that impact is important to please consider supporting gript because despite what people say we are funded effectively entirely by our readers, we don't have state funding, we reject anything of the idea. And grip will will succeed or fail based on the level of uh, support it receives from the public. Ultimately, uh, we require people supporting the work for the work to continue. And that is what it is. And I think this has been one example of it. We reported something that was simply true because we thought it was newsworthy. And we now have politicians accusing us of starting a riot. We have a section of the left who weirdly seems to think that this is going to be the end of Gript. I'm not sure what the mechanism there is or why this would be end of Gript, but they seem to think it is. It's not going to be, by the way. It would be. But on that basis, I will leave you and I should be back with Michael next week. And he may have something to say on this, but it, it will be good to have him if just to restore some order to the proceedings. Enjoy your Sunday.